Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Another round of Fizz 5 in store. Ian Unsworth and John Eads with you to recap all things Syracuse sports over the weekend. Had a lot of lacrosse action. The Syracuse men got smoked by Virginia again. Nothing new there. Gary Gates' first season as a helm has not gone to plan. But the women are putting up some good fights against top-ranked teams. A nail-biter loss to BC on Friday and SU has the number three seed in the ACC tournament. John and I will break down the upcoming matchup against Virginia and what the Orange should expect down the road. Finally, Jim Beheim and company lost a big-time transfer target to a fellow ACC school yesterday. Brandon Huntley Hatfield's going to Louisville. We'll break down what that means for the rest of the SU roster. But for now, we'll start with men's lacrosse with topic number one. Number one. All right. Syracuse men's lacrosse has not been anywhere close to the standard of excellence set in the past. The Orange dropped its penultimate game of the season, 21-15. to Number five, Virginia slaughters the Orange again. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to win a lacrosse game when you give up 20 goals, and that's what Syracuse did against Virginia two different times this season. 20-11 to 11 in the first matchup, 21-15 in the second. And honestly, Ian, the game really wasn't that close. Virginia absolutely dominated Syracuse. I would say start to finish, but really it was in spurts, but big spurts. Like they went up 5-1 early, then they came out of the halftime break and scored like seven, eight goals in a row. At one point they were up 20-11, to 11, and then Syracuse kind of poured in a couple of empty calorie goals in the end. So, look, UVA is just a great team. There's a reason why they won the ACC regular season title, and it just shows how far that the Syracuse program program needs to go to get back to relevance. Virginia did clinch a share of the ACC regular season title with a win, and there's no ACC men's tournament. That change happened after 2019. So the Cavs have an auto bid into the NCAAs, and Syracuse is missing the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2007. John, one thing that stood out to me, uh, I guess we can call it a bright spot moving forward, Jackson Burtwistle was excellent. First career start, in the dome in front of a big crowd and he scored five goals including a behind the back finish he was on he was on the money and I think he does something that nobody else on the Syracuse team does well and that is cut without the ball that's something that Mikey Berkman does pretty well to kind of counter that point but what Berkman doesn't do Ian is a whole lot more than that Jackson Burtwistle brings a lot of good tools to the table he can dodge he can pass and there is an intricate there is an intricacy to knowing how to get open knowing where slides are coming and going from, knowing where open spots are going to be in the defense. And he certainly has that, and it's really impressive because he's only a redshirt freshman. I was kind of joking before the game, wondering if he would start. I didn't actually think he would start because he did play a lot against North Carolina, but, you know, Mikey Berkman's been starting all season at attack. He did get the start, and what does he do but go out and lead Syracuse in scoring? So absolutely a bright spot for this team. Now I wonder if the conversation thinking ahead to next year, because, I mean, let's be honest, not a whole lot to talk about for the team this year. Um, is it going to be Tucker Dordovic, Joey Spalina, Owen Hiltz, or maybe do you move Dordovic back to midfield and keep Burt Whistle at attack? I don't know. Burt Whistle also can play some midfield as well. He's listed as a midfielder on the SU Athletic site, but his performance paled in comparison to what Virginia did on the offensive end. Two different players had seven-point performances. 
And overall, it was a terrible day for the Syracuse defense, a unit that has three very experienced players, um, and Nick Kakamo as well, doing a pretty bang-up job. But two of those guys, Brett Kennedy and Grant Murphy, both got exposed in the worst of ways just multiple times. I mean, I can't tell you someone I've seen fall asleep more at the helm than Grant Murphy. Yeah. There was there was a goal. I'm sorry for interrupting, but there was a goal in transition scored by one of Virginia's short stick defensive midfielders, where all three close defensemen stood five yards away from Cage and just watched this guy stride directly down the middle of the field and just rip a ten yard shot. He was wide open, unmarked, and that goes on the defenseman and also Bobby Gavin, who got pulled shortly after. Nobody communicated. Like, someone has to step up and take responsibility and just trust that their teammates will slide behind them and they can they have enough skill, enough ability, enough closing speed to maybe get in the head of this dude that does not play offense and rattle him enough to force a turnover. Someone has to slide initially. Like, you can't just have nobody go at all. I mean, you, you can communicate all you want, but someone has to make the jump and actually initiate the fast break defense. So, I don't really understand that. That's stuff that you learn when you're growing up, when you're in fourth and fifth grade, and for nobody to understand how to run a fast-break defense at this point of the season. Oh, and by the way, they're being coached by probably the best player to ever play defense in college lacrosse with Dave Petramala. I don't really understand it. Uh, what really pointed, what really stuck out to me in this game is that towards the end, they were putting guys in like Nick Fraterigo. Um, it's some guy whose last name I don't even remember. They have no idea who to put in on defense. They haven't had options all season. It's been Brett Kennedy, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, Brett Kennedy is not that good. He's being projected as a top five pick in the PLL. I don't really understand why. I think it's just all hype. Uh, Grant Murphy would not start on any defense in the ACC, not the Big Ten, maybe a mid-major. He's just not that good of a player. Nick Kikamo is the only bright spot on this defense this year and going forward. So, I don't know. The unit has had no answers all year. They've looked good against inferior competition, but against teams with an actual pulse of an offense, they're terrible. The stat that really sticks out to me, too, when I look at the box score is caused turnovers. Virginia had 10 turnovers. I think a lot of those came in garbage time, too. Syracuse leads the ACC in caused turnovers, getting about 14 per game. And in the first half, I think they had four. So this unit thrives on forcing turnovers. They couldn't do that against Virginia because it's a UVA offense that takes care of the ball and scores a lot because of that. One, one more thing I think we should hit on before we take a, a macro step. And I guess, actually, this is how we can move to our macro discussion on Syracuse men's lacrosse, our topic two of this Fizz Five. Number two. So Gary Gate refuses still to pick a goalie and stick with him. Bobby Gavin played a bit, I don't even, I can't even remember if Gavin made it through the first quarter, but regardless, he did not. He let up like seven goals and got yanked. So what, what does this mean that Gary Gate can't stick with a goalie? I think it means they have no potent option. Like he doesn't like Bobby Gavin. He also doesn't like Harrison Thompson. So honestly, I'm wondering if maybe some of the incoming freshmen, like Jimmy McCool is a guy that's coming in. That's that's a a very good name for a goalie. I'm wondering if maybe he's a guy that can come in and start or if they'll attack the transfer portal again, just like they did to get Gavin last year. From what I've seen this year, I mean, Gavin's had his moments. Thompson's had his moments as well. But none of them have really stepped up and shown that they should deserve the starting job. So I don't really know who it should be going into year two. That's kind of a problem. You want someone to, 
you know, win that job and give Coach Gate that confidence that, hey, they can step in and be that goalie. Because, you know, if you're at the point at the end of the season here where against North Carolina, you're flip-flopping the goalies not only once but twice during a game and then doing the same thing a week later against UVA in the second-to-last game of the season, that's a problem. I think we were all just a little bit too spoiled by with what Drake Porter brought to this team. I don't think there's going to be another goalie like him on the hill in a long time. And really what I'm getting at here is Coach Gate has no idea who his goalie should be, and that's a problem carrying over to next year too. The, the Porter game that I always remember was last year against Vermont when it didn't look like Syracuse could win a faceoff. It, the offense stopped producing in the second half, and Porter made like 21 saves, and Syracuse won the game. We have not seen something like that from either Gavin nor Thompson. Just a game where they, they seem to be a brick wall. There, there have been maybe stretches, four or five minutes at most, but you're not getting a, a dynamic, I mean, shutdown game from a, a, a Bobby Gavin or a Harrison Thompson that you can get from a, a Mike Adler at Duke or a Liam Entman at Notre Dame. Um, like th- These guys just are not, are not game changers. And I, I, maybe Jimmy McCool is the game changer, but... You start a freshman and against Brennan O'Neill, like, whew, that's tough stuff. Yeah, I mean, Colin Krieg in North Carolina, he had a All American season as a freshman, so you never know with some of these guys. And he's a pretty big time recruit as well. I think he's top one hundred. McCool is, um, but they just haven't shown that they can be that starting goalie all year. And it's kind of tough because this defense has been so bad this season. And we talked about specific plays from this Virginia game specifically, where if you're a goalie, there's only so much you can do when your defense doesn't slide on a fast break. Um, but Gavin at Virginia, behind an actual good defense, showed some flashes. He won ACC uh, Defensive Player of the Week after a big performance against Army, I believe it was, yeah. last season. Yeah. So, you know, in front of a good defense, he's shown that he can be a good goaltender, but I just don't know if he's going to get that same kind of luxury at Syracuse. So it's kind of tough for him. And for Harrison Thompson, the understudy of Drake Porter, hasn't really had his fair shot. So... I don't know. The the goalie spot is definitely a big question mark going into next season, but there's a lot of question marks with this team. So there are going to be holes all over the place. Whether it's it's at attack where you have maybe Tucker Dordovic, you mentioned him moving back to midfield earlier. It, whether it's Dordovic sticking at attack, um, I have not been impressed with Owen Seabold. Uh, not he's gone anyway. I think. He, he's leaving, yeah. but I have just not been impressed. He he is a turnover machine. There are about three passes to the crease where he just absolutely missed them, uh, went to shoot, and just left the ball behind. I've, I have not been thrilled with him. He's also super inefficient, which which kills me. He takes like 8 to 10 shots a game and scores, on, on average, maybe a goal and a half. Uh, but my, my qualms with Seabold aside, you just need more dynamic options on the offensive end, and I think we're, we're poised to get that next season. The, the Spolina hype is real. And it, it, I, from what I've seen, it seems like Spolina can certainly play at any level he wants to. I mean, probably the kid could play in the PLL with a couple of years, maybe two years at Syracuse, he could play in the PLL, no problem. He's, he's a legit talent. Joey Spolina is that dude. Yeah, I mean, just watch his most recent game if you want proof of that. There's a reason why he's getting number 22, right? Um, I would pump the brakes just a little bit because... You know, you got to see what he does against ACC competition. I know he goes up against the best high school guys week in and week out, but, you know, there's a difference between playing a guy that's a, a senior in high school with you and then a guy that's a senior in college who's a three-time defensive All-American. Yeah. And he's stepping into a lot of pressure. I mean, wearing 22 has a lot of pressure in itself, 
and then he's going to be expected to potentially be the guy at attack next year. He will have Owen Hiltz there to shoulder some of that load as well. Um, but what Syracuse needs to do is continue to stack talent at the midfield position too because an offense needs six players, not just three. I mean, they have Brandon Curry, they have Tucker Dordovic, and we've seen how that's worked out this year at times that offense has you know, gone stale. So they need to really fill holes in that midfield spot. I really think they need to attack the transfer portal, and this is something that Quit Kesnick told me that Gary Gate really needs to do uh, heading into this Virginia game. They really need to go into the transfer portal and find some good talent, just like Virginia did. I know you were on the call for that game. Charlie Bertrand. A, player, a guy that played for Virginia last season, transferred in from Merrimack, was the two-time D2 Player of the Year. Why not go and get one of those kind of players? And there are certainly options out there. I mean, Tufts is is just absolutely chock full of D3 talent. I mean, Virginia this year brought in a guy named Evan Zinn from Hopkins, who played two-way almost and scored as well. There are certainly going to be bodies in the portal from now until forever. Um, Thomas McConvey is a guy that I'm looking at. He's going to be a great from Vermont. He was dynamic against SU two years ago, and he's going to be in the portal this upcoming season. So, again, a lot of options for Syracuse, but Gary Gate hopefully has that recruiting power to bring some of those names in. I think it's time to move over to the women's side to brighten our attitudes up a little bit. I'm down. All right, let's talk Kayla Trainer's team for topic number three. Number three. So the SU women went to Chestnut Hill and dropped what was a nail-biter. Uh, the, the game was extremely, extremely close, but John, in my opinion, it was really the free position that changed things, especially in the first quarter where BC had eight free position shots alone. At least. Yeah. And there's something about Acacia Walker-Weinstein, the BC coach, game planning to get Charlotte North free positions that just really worked in the Eagles' favor against Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, game planning is one thing. I think the officiating was also really questionable, too, because there were a lot of things going against Syracuse that I argue could have gone against Boston College as well. But, you know, you and I were sitting down and watching this game, and in the first half, we were just we were chopping it up that, hey, you know, if Boston College is going to continue to get the free position opportunities, which, if you don't know what a free position shot is, it's essentially... Um, a one-on-one with the goalie where you can either shoot it from eight meters away or have a breakaway basically towards cage. Um, and you don't want to give those up, especially to a player like Charlotte North, who set NCAA records in scoring last season and is one of the best players in college women's across this year. Now, those breakaway opportunities, Boston College had plenty of them in the first half. And to Kimber Howard's credit, the Syracuse goalie, she kept a lot of those off the board, and Sarah Cooper did a great job as well, a Syracuse defender, to kind of mitigate the damage there. But Boston College went up early. Syracuse had to come back, and they just ran out of gas in the late stages. BC won 15-13, to and yes, you hit the nail on the head, John. Syracuse just did not have enough firepower. Did outscore BC 5-3 in the final quarter, but that was after... The Eagles scored five in the third, and SU only grabbed two. Overall, it was a great performance from the Syracuse offense. A lot of different contributors. Uh, Megan Tyrell, of course, doing what she does. It was good to see Megan Carney get back to almost 100%. I'm not sure if she's still there. We don't know what she's dealing with, but I'm pretty sure it's it's something regarding her ACL tear last year. I, I hate to say it, John, but she might have rushed it back. I don't know if she's yeah, 100% I mean, good to go. She sat out the previous three games definitely to put all the proverbial chips in the middle of the table for this one because if you're going to save your 
Um, you know, if you're going to save whatever kind of percentage you have left, you're going to save it for this game, a rematch in the national championship. Uh, she definitely did not look like her normal self, just a goal and an assist on the day. And she was really playing passive. Like she wasn't, um, dodging to create offense for herself. She wasn't cutting a whole lot. So, uh, you know, I wonder if it was kind of a detriment to have her on the field. And I know that's kind of a disrespectful thing to say about someone that's been an all American and that someone that's, you know, fourth on the team in points, but after sitting out three games, there's definitely a little bit of rust there, and I think this offense kind of found its mojo with Emily Harrischuk and Megan Tyrell and Olivia Adamson and some of these other young studs that have really stepped up. So I wonder if that may have played a role in the game a little bit. It was definitely good to see her get back in the field, but I'm not sure what the status of Megan Carney is going forward. They're definitely going to need her, though, come ACC tournament and NCAA tournament. One player that has gotten back to her old self, though, is Emily Harrischuk. She had four goals on 10 shots and it seems like she's back to playing her physical brand of lacrosse beating players one-on-one throwing a little bit of a shoulder shoulder swing to uh give herself some space get her hands free and that's that's a big positive for Syracuse come NCAA tournament time ACC tournament time uh one other note Jenny Markey did get two yellow cards which bounced her out of the game she would have been a big piece in the fourth quarter uh, but she she was not able to finish the game. Same thing that happened to Emma Tyrell in that NCAA championship game last year. Kate Mashevsky was eh, at the draw control. She was good. She just didn't know what to do with the ball after she won the faceoff. Yeah, I agree. She runs to the sidelines. Yeah. She doesn't she doesn't try to keep the ball. Same kind of thing happened to FOP against Virginia as well, where the faceoff faceoff winner gets the ball, draw winner gets the ball, and they kind of freak. Because they don't know they what they're doing, they're not usually in that position, and then things just go sideways because they they panic. So if Mischewski can keep her cool, which they'll definitely be working on this week, because Kayla Trainer took draws when she was at Syracuse, she knows how it feels. So hopefully Mischewski's getting some more ball handling tutorials this week, or at least they're developing some sets, some plays to get the pressure off of her as soon as she wins that draw to herself. And Syracuse will take that week of, eh, I guess, a bit of an extended week of practice into a matchup with Virginia. The Orange are the third seed in the ACC tournament. BC the two, UNC the one. So if Syracuse pulls off a win, they should meet the Eagles again in a couple of games. And that's great because I think what you wanted to do was avoid being the four seed, which is what Duke is because they got smashed by UNC. And it's kind of funny because they just went from you know beating Boston College, being the two seed potentially, now dropping to the four. So now Syracuse could meet Boston College in the semifinal of the conference tournament, and they won't have to play UNC to the championship if they make it there. So that's a win because I think that was the the best path that Syracuse could have followed. It would have been even better if Duke could have stayed at the two or the three, and then you don't have to play Boston College. Um, but either way, you'll take it. I also like the first round draw for Syracuse. Um, they could have played Notre Dame if they got up to that two seed, and Notre Dame took Syracuse to overtime, and SU ended up winning in the extra session. But, I mean, you don't want that too close for comfort in this stage uh, of the season. They took down Virginia earlier on in the season. I think it's a good matchup for them. They've really had no problems with the Cavaliers historically, so I like that matchup. Let's dig into that Virginia matchup a bit more for topic number four here on Fizz 5. Number four. So, SU and UVA played once this year. John, I know you had a lot of fun calling that game. A March 12th contest in Charlottesville. Uh, The Orange won 17-11 in a snowstorm. That was awful. 
I thought I'd be escaping the cold weather here for Charlottesville. You know, once you get below, uh, once you get below, I guess, Ohio, I don't know. I, I guess you expect it to be warmer uh, in March, but that was not the case. It, actually, it was on the two days I was there that weren't the day of the game. It was awful, though. Woke up, snowing. It was like 10 degrees. Um, game was essentially played on a JV high school field. So much better conditions probably this time around. I don't think the weather played that much of a factor in the game itself. Syracuse was really good start to finish in that one. Um, but it was a Syracuse team that was at full strength at that point in the season as well with Emma Tyrell and Megan Carney not being injured and uh, out for the season in the case of Emma Tyrell. Well, we'll see what happens with the Cavs. Is there is there a matchup that Syracuse should look to take advantage of or one player that the Orange have to stop? Well, the big thing in the first matchup was winning at the draw control circle. They have uh, Aubrey Williams, Virginia does, who's one of the better draw control takers in the ACC and in the country. But she really was a non-factor in the first half where Syracuse put up a lot of its goals. Um, and I, I think that's the player you need to mitigate if you're Syracuse. Now, this Virginia offense does have pieces. They have Ashley McGovern, a player who's on the Tawartan Award watch list. They have a lot of very skilled attackers, but they lack kind of the production from the midfield spot, and that's kind of where teams have hurt Syracuse this year when they've had those elite goal-scoring midfielders. When they can shut down the opposing attack units, that's who the opponents will look to step up. Virginia doesn't really have that, so I think Syracuse has the upper hand there. They're going to need to score, though, because this Cavs offense can put up some points, like I said, so I think the magic number for Syracuse is 15 to win this one. And the Orange can certainly get 15 goals on a moment's notice, especially if Kate Mishevsky is dominating at the draw control. So that wraps up all our lacrosse talk, a very busy week of lax here in central New York. But last but not least, some basketball action. The transfer portal still alive and humming, and SU lost out on a big-time target again for our final topic, number five. Number five. Brandon Huntley-Hatfield is going to Louisville. After he went to Tennessee last year, Huntley Hatfield was a former five-star recruit, a guy that Jim Beheim was on like white on rice. He reclassified from the class of 2022 to 2021. Syracuse was in his top 10, and whittled it all the way down, chose Tennessee. Huntley Hatfield's from Tennessee. You know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Doesn't play a whole lot his freshman year, get some time in the NCAA tournament after uh, Tennessee's starting center gets hurt. And, and has some breakout games, looked very good against Michigan in the in the uh, Sweet 16, the game that Tennessee lost. Sweet 16 around round of 32, do you remember? That was the round of 32. Okay. Because Michigan lost to Villanova in the Sweet 16. Yes, so Tennessee looked, looked, was, looked good as a team, and Huntley Hatfield definitely had his moments. Uh, very versatile player, 6'10", nice touch, can shoot from the free throw line, maybe the possibility to extend his range, and also shot blocking ability on the defensive end, things Syracuse does not have. But Huntley Hatfield is going to Louisville to uh, join up a new band of cards with new head coach Kenny Payne, and Syracuse loses out again on another big-time center target, something that's desperately needed with Frank Anselm in the transfer portal. Nobody wants this last scholarship spot. I mean, if, if there's any Syracuse basketball alum out there that has another son to join Chaz Owens in the, in the room of oh, no. just oh, unnecessary no. scholarships, then, then go ahead and take it, I guess, because Quincy Ballard didn't want it. Brandon Huntley-Hatfield doesn't want it. I guess everybody's scared of Jesse Edwards. I guess he's supposed to be the ACC Player of the Year. I mean, that's, that's what I'm gathering from this. I really don't know, but if Jesse Edwards isn't 100% off the broken hand, broken wrist, whatever it was, uh, what is Syracuse going to do? Two words. Peter Carey. 
Peter Carey is coming off of his own injury, and the dude is 215 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Put uh, Chris Bunch to five? Oh. There are, there are no good options unless Syracuse can snag someone from the portal. I would say a cook a cook is the best remaining option for Jim Beheim, and he's six foot eight and tore his Achilles freshman year at UConn and is now a big big old question mark and it would be a roll of the dice. They really do need to fill this last scholarship spot with a big because there is no backup to Jesse Edwards and you know honestly he was very improved from last season but. I mean, the guy's not a world beater, right? He's not one of the top five centers in the ACC. So. And he still gets in foul trouble. Yeah, exactly. So uh, somehow, someway, they got to go out and find a big to be the backup to Jesse Edwards. I think Quincy Ballard was the perfect fit for that. But, of course, he's taking his talents to Wichita State for whatever reason. Um, so some work to be done there. If they add a guard or a forward, I think that's a miss. You don't need any more of those this season. I agree. You have plenty of versatile ball handlers coming in, especially with that Judah Mintz edition. You have three ball handlers, um, three guys to play at the top of the zone, and even if you want to put Bunch or Justin Taylor up there to get some extra length with three shorter, I mean, I mean shorter, less lengthy guards, you're not throwing Michael Michael Carter Williams and Brandon Trish up there anymore. But you'll at least have Mintz, who's six foot four and and pretty apt defensively, along with with Samir, who gets active, or uh, JG three. We we don't need to discuss that. Uh, we'll wait until December to get after JG3. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yes, a, a, a center is absolutely paramount for this team. Stacked at the wings, stacked up top. Pl- the offense should be fine again. I, I'm not worried about Ver- Syracuse's ability to score the ball. I don't think most people are. But when it comes to defense, when it comes to having a five that can not get all five fouls in the span of five minutes, I don't think Syracuse has that guy. Definitely not, and if Je- if Jesse Edwards is that guy again, he had his flashes last year where he was and he wasn't, then this team's in trouble. I wonder if there's something with recruits. They just don't want to play here if they're a four or a five because you look at a couple of different things. Recent pro development, not a whole lot there for Syracuse. Yeah. Of course, they run that zone defense, which doesn't really translate to professional skills, right? Yeah, especially because so, with, with the bigs, you have to learn pick-and-roll coverages. That's huge in the NBA, and Syracuse just doesn't do that. So you really have to find a guy that loves Syracuse so much out of high school because unless you go and offer a kid from, I don't know, St. Peter's, no disrespect to the Peacocks, um, you, you're not going to get one of those elite big man transfers. They're going to go to a different school. Uh, you think about the NIL, too. Syracuse is way behind there, and that's a whole other different story. Um, but yeah, I think, I just think there's something about this program and where it is right now. These big time guys in the portal that play the big positions don't want to come here. They would rather go to other schools. So it really puts the pressure on you to get that guy out of high school. And the, the level of guy that they're getting right now is a Peter Carey. No disrespect. You're telling me Quincy Ballard didn't want that, uh, uh, Beacon Skiff hard cider NIL deal? Apparently not. I mean, that or varsity. I don't know. Well, I guess whatever's popping up in Wichita, Kansas is, is worth a bit more. Regardless, the Orange are still hunting for a center recruit, and the men's and women's lax teams are wrapping up their seasons, and so are we. We're wrapping up Fizz 5. John Eads, Ian Unsworth, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to check out all our content on orangefizz.net. You can also find us on Twitter at orangefizz. John, one more thing that I think we want to tease here for this Fizz 5. We want to try a Twitter space. For the first time ever, Orange Fizz will be having its first ever post-game Twitter space 
after the Notre Dame lacrosse game. So make sure to check us out on Twitter at OrangeFizz to catch that. We'll have them going during football season, and this lacrosse game will be our test run. So come and join us as we wax poetic, rant, uh, imitate Gary Gate, whatever it may be, and sort of wrap up the 2022 disappointment of a Syracuse men's lacrosse season. One final time, John Eads, Ian Unsworth with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.